0: Gotta love it. It's a Thursday night, and the NFL season is ready to kick off for the 2013 year. The preseason begins tonight, and we're going to wrap up the show and go right into the living room and watch the Cleveland Browns entertain the St. Louis Rams here in just a little bit. But before we do that, welcome everyone to the palatial and extravagant Ultimate Sports Talk radio studio I'm Dave Mitchell glad to have you along tonight on the ultimate sports talk show we're going to sit back for the next hour and in the second half hour we're going to preview the Pac-12 let you know who's going to win that conference between Stanford, Oregon, UCLA, USC and the other competitors out west we're going to talk to the coaches and we're going to give you our thoughts on what's happening out there. But, of course, all week long, what have we heard about A-Rod and the suspensions going on with Major League Baseball? They all came down on Monday, and we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But before we do that, we want to let you know that you can join us in the chat room here at UltimateSportsTalk.com just simply by signing in and letting us know what's going on there. Also, you can talk to us via the social media by emailing us at dmitch at ultimatesports dot com. That's D is in Dave, Mitch is in Mitchell. Dmitch at ultimate sports dot com. And if you'd like to, you can send us out a tweet. That's at ohbbcohost ohbbcohost on Twitter. Like I said, we're going to be previewing the Pac twelve coming up in just a little bit. But of course, the major league suspensions came down this week. And it was no surprise. The only real surprise that came down on the list was the fact that baseball came out and said that Gio Gonzalez, the lefty pitcher of the Washington Nationals, was not involved in it after the media had reported for the last six months or so that he was one of the 20 that was involved in this Biogenesis investigation. As it turned out, evidently, it was his father who was going to that wellness center. He thought it was a wellness center, did not know what was going on behind the scenes in that office. And he was told by his doctor, Gonzalez's father was told by his doctor, that he needed to lose weight. And he recommended this wellness center, and that's where Gonzalez's father went to lose the weight. And he did lose weight, didn't take steroids, and his son didn't take steroids either. And Major League Baseball exonerated him from anything that was involved with this biogenesis situation. But they also suspended several other players, including Nelson Cruz of Texas, Johnny Peralta of Detroit, and the most famous, Alex Rodriguez of the New York Yankees. Now, there's a lot of negotiations going on. There was. Now, A-Rod has just decided that he is going to appeal all the decisions from Major League Baseball. They suspended him for 211 games without pay, basically throughout the rest of this season and into the 2014 and through the 2014 season, which means that he would not be eligible to play baseball again until the 2015 season, except for one thing. A-Rod decided to appeal. John Morosi sits back and talks about The circus that we know of the New York Yankees in New York City and what's going on with Alex Rodriguez. On the
1: day Alex Rodriguez was suspended through the 2014 season, he was inexplicably in the Yankees' starting lineup for his season debut, yes, batting cleanup. This is stranger than fiction right now, everybody, and we're going to have quite a time seeing how this plays out over the months to come. Yes, I said months. Michael Wiener, chief of the MLBPA, said it won't be until November or December that he expects Alex Rodriguez's appeal will finally conclude. So, A-Rod on some level earns a small victory by appealing even as he gets suspended because he should be able to collect his paychecks through the end of this season on his $28 million annual salary, which is the largest annual salary left on his contract, so a big win for A-Rod there. But wait. It's a little bit confusing because the Yankees have him batting cleanup, when A-Rod seemed to think they wanted him to go away entirely. No, no, no. It's going to be a lot of fun seeing just how much the Yankees need to rely on Alex Rodriguez given that they started the week nine and a half games back in the American League East and are desperate for better production at third base, a position that Alex Rodriguez still nominally can play even though concerns persist about his physical ability to do so every day. I am concerned, of course, about the larger picture in baseball with the fact that you wonder if this whole appeal by Alex Rodriguez will create a great deal of animosity between MLB and the MLBPA, two parties that have been, overall, been able to coexist pretty well in recent years. But in the meantime, this is going to be a lot of fun, seeing if Alex Rodriguez can make the Yankees actually want him back and make the Yankees fans want him back to the point that he might not be booed on the road And at home, which, of course, is exactly what's going to happen if he doesn't hit a ton of home runs very, very
0: soon. I love doing this show. One of the reasons that I love doing this show is the fact that it's very therapeutic for me. Uh, I would probably have a heart attack if I didn't get an opportunity to come on the air here and express my opinions. And this is one of the things that I just have to express my opinion on. This stinks. It really does. Alex Rodriguez playing baseball when the rest of these players accepted their punishment and decided to go into the suspensions the way that they did. But yet A-Rod sits back and decides that he's going to appeal this thing. And that's his right. I understand that. And I've heard Bob Costas' opinion about this situation. And he is correct that the players' union fought for years to have the opportunity for a player to appeal a suspension and that the commissioner of baseball would not be the end-all to be-all to make the decision for what is going on. But in this case, tell me that this is not a situation where Bud Selig should have enforced the best interests of baseball clause. And the reason is this. Texas is in a pennant race. Detroit is in a pennant race. Although I'm going to get into the Detroit-Cleveland series here in just a few minutes. The Yankees are involved in a pennant race. Now, if it comes down to the final few games, even the maybe the last two or three weeks of the season, and Texas and the New York Yankees are involved in a pennant race for one of the last two spots to reach the postseason, the wild card positions, how is it fair that Texas is sitting there without their star player in Nelson Cruz, but the Yankees are allowed to have Arod on the field. I think this entire thing screams best interests of baseball and that Bud Selig should have implemented that clause in this suspension and not made A-Rod eligible to play until after the appeal process. Now, Mark Donahue, my co-host on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show on Monday evening, he'll sit back and he'll tell you that baseball would leave themselves wide open to a major lawsuit. The fact of the matter is, is that Arod is still going to get paid his money. That's what's unfair about this. And that's what the Major League Baseball Players Union is going to have to address along with the owners. They've got to find a way to make sure that these players do not take these drugs and then are able to collect on their contract after they've already done it. Ryan Braun, for example, he's got $113 million owed him by the Milwaukee Brewers when he comes back next year after serving a 65-game suspension this year. That means that of this new contract that Braun signed with the Brewers, only 3% of that contract is going to be taken away from him because of this suspension. A-Rod is almost the same way. He's got almost the same amount of money due him over the next four years. And for this to have happened because of a cheating scandal going on in Biogenesis is an embarrassment not only to baseball, it's an embarrassment to Bud Selig. And Bud Selig, let's be honest, he's the one that perpetrated all of this by turning a blind eye to what Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Rafael Palmeiro all did. They are the ones that came back with positive drug tests. The questions are still out there on Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds. While those players were bringing in millions and millions of dollars to Major League Baseball after the strike of 1994, Bud Selig set back and allowed this to happen. Now... He wants to make sure that his legacy is one that he leaves the game cleaner than what it was when he was in the middle of his hierarchy as commissioner of the game. You just can't have it both ways, just like the NCAA wants to have it both ways, but we'll talk about that later. Of course, the Tigers are playing without Johnny Peralta, their shortstop, and they started this week with just a big series against the Cleveland Indians. It was kind of a do-or-die thing for the Indians. They were one of the hottest teams. Matter of fact, the AL Central has turned out to be one of the hottest races in baseball, even though Detroit now is up by six games over the Indians. Monday night, Corey Kluber for the Indians just pitched an outstanding game. He pitched his butt off, and he ended up with an injured right middle finger, Baseball players, they call it the long finger, but it's actually the middle finger, and you know why they don't want to call it that. He's on the DL now for the Indians, 15 days, but it's actually probably going to be a four- to six-week injury, and he could be lost to the Indians for the rest of the year. He entered the ninth inning with a 2 nothing lead, and Terry Francona turned it over to Chris Perez, and Chris Perez blew it in four batters. All of a sudden, the Tigers were up 4-2 to two after a three-run homer by Alex Avila, And a game that looked like the Indians were going to win suddenly became the most heartbreaking loss of the season for the Tribe. The next night it was a battle of aces. Justin Verlander against Justin Masterson. Verlander pitched maybe the best game he's pitched this year. He came into the game and knew he was going to have to throw the ball fast. And he started out in that first inning throwing 97, 98 mile an hour fastballs. And he improved on it throughout the the rest of the game, pitching the Tigers to a 5-1 victory over Justin Masterson and the Indians. And then it was Wednesday night. Danny Salazar coming up for the Indians. They had moved Ubaldo Jimenez back to Friday because he has not pitched well against the Tigers all year long. They put Salazar into the unenviable position of basically trying to stop the Tigers' winning streak. In the meantime, trying to get the Indians back into the pennant race of the AL Central. And to dump that on the shoulders of a 21-year-old rookie who's only had one other start in Major League Baseball was putting an awfully big situation on his shoulders. And what happened? Salazar came through like a champ. He had a 3-2 to lead with two outs in the eighth inning. Torrey Hunter got a base hit, and then Miguel Cabrera crushed one to center field. That's why he's the most valuable player and the best hitter in baseball right now. And the Tigers ended up winning the game in 14 innings, 6-5 to over the Indians. The Tigers and the Indians wrap up their four-game set. The Indians are just hoping that they can salvage one game out of this. So, we'll see what happens. And I want to say this also about Bruce Rondon of the Tigers. Boy, what a pitcher this kid is. He came in last night's ball game and he's throwing... He topped out the, the radar gun in Cleveland last night at 103 miles an hour. This kid throws just as hard, if not harder, than Araldus Chapman of the Cincinnati Reds. It's just an unbelievable performance that he put on in two innings against the Indians last night. He was supposed to be the closer for the Tigers coming into the season, but Jim Leland had to send him back down to the minors because he was trying to concentrate on throwing too many pitches. Leland sent him back down to the minors and said, just concentrate on your fastball. Now, he does have a changeup to go with his 103-mile-an-hour fastball, and that tops out at 91, which is a normal pitcher's fastball. This kid, if he ever manages to harness the talent that he's got, he's going to be almost unhittable for the Tigers. That's what's going on in Major League Baseball. Let's move over to football, where the NFL exhibition season is beginning tonight. And this evening, the Cleveland Browns open things up at home, and they are going to be entertaining the St. Louis Rams of Jeff Fisher. Well, the Browns are coming into this ballgame, and there's a lot of question marks that they have to answer. Rob Chudzinski is the new head coach, and, of course, Norv Turner is the New offensive coordinator. They're going to try to mold Brandon Weeden into a quarterback that the Browns can go to the playoffs under. Trent Richardson, their all-pro running back, is not going to play tonight. Not because of any injury problems. They just don't want to put him into the lineup in a game like this. And, of course, you're probably only going to see the first-teamers for the Browns play maybe two series. You might see them play the entire first quarter. We'll wait and see about that. The Rams, on the other hand, they're closer to the playoffs than the Browns are. You're probably going to see them play their starters just one series, and then they'll start to take a look at the rookies in the game. Now, that kickoff is at 8 o'clock tonight in Cleveland, so there's going to be a log jam in downtown Cleveland because the Indians and the Browns are both playing. And, of course, if you're going to those ball games, remember... Ninth Street is being repaved. So it is going to be extremely hard to get in and out of First Energy Stadium in Cleveland. And also tonight, have you heard about the new rules that the NFL has put into place if you come to their ball games? If you bring in anything into the stadium, first of all, you're not allowed to bring in any bags like purses or satchels or briefcases or anything of that nature. If you bring a bag into the stadium with goodies, it's got to be a clear see-through bag so that the security guards at the front gate can look at the bag and they don't have to go through it. Now, that's one thing. Second thing, you're not allowed to bring in any umbrellas any longer. You're not allowed to bring in any seat cushions. You're not allowed to bring in any cans or bottles. This is just becoming an entire nightmare just to go to a National Football League game. And it's almost to the point where why even bother when you can watch almost every game on TV or get the NFL Red Zone and watch the most important parts of it. So that's what's going on in the NFL. Now tonight, for the first weekend, here's the schedule. Baltimore will be at Tampa Bay. Cincinnati plays at Atlanta. It will be Washington at Tennessee. And of course, our G3 is not going to play in that ballgame. He may not play at all in the preseason. Denver will be at San Francisco. That could completely be a possible matchup of the Super Bowl. And also, it is Seattle at San Diego. That's on the NFL Network tonight. The game on ESPN is Cincinnati at Atlanta. Now, let's take a look at the Friday evening ballgames. Miami will be at Jacksonville. The New York Jets at Detroit. Who knows who's going to be the quarterback for the New York Jets. New England will play at Philadelphia. Thank heavens Philadelphia is getting on the field because all this information that we're getting out of Philadelphia about everything except for football is really becoming nauseating. They're playing on the NFL Network tomorrow night. Arizona is at Green Bay. Kansas City at New Orleans. Houston at Minnesota. Chicago is at Carolina, and Dallas is at Oakland, and that game also is on the NFL Network. Over the weekend, there's just two games. On Saturday, it's the New York Giants at Pittsburgh, and on Sunday, it is Buffalo at Indianapolis. That's also on the NFL Network, and that will be 1.30 on Sunday afternoon. Let's move over to college football, and don't forget that we are going to be previewing the Pac-12 Conference coming up in our second half hour. I'm Dave Mitchell. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Ultimate Sports Talk show here at Ultimate Sports Talk. And, of course, the big story in college football this week has been another incident by Johnny Manziel. The NCAA is looking into the Heisman Trophy winner to see if he was paid for signing hundreds of autographs in January. That was at the BCS Championship game between Notre Dame and Alabama. There also appeared to be some of the sales on eBay online of these autographs that he did sign. Now, their head coach, Kevin Sumlin, talks about what he is doing on the field in coordination with what is going on with Johnny Manziel off the field. Obviously,
2: in the last 24 hours, uh, some some other uh, news has come to light um, uh, with, with Johnny. And, um, that's a situation that, uh, uh, for me as, as a coach, you know, that, 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 uh, uh, has happened in a 24 hour period. Our university will, is doing its due diligence, um, uh, to, to find out the facts. And as a coach, you deal with a lot of different things during, during this time, during, during practice and, and, uh. We're going to practice and, and go ahead uh, as normal, and uh, be able to adjust as as the facts are related to me. But as I said, you know, in, in the last 24 hours, um, we we've, we've become uh, aware of of that situation, and uh, and we will deal with it uh, accordingly.
0: And on top of all that, in Columbus, Braxton Miller and the Ohio State University have determined that he did not profit from the sale of items he signed at a luncheon at the media days just two weeks ago. Athletic Director Gene Smith said Wednesday the university talked to Miller after someone saw that there was memorabilia on sale online without the junior's knowledge. He said Miller had been cleared of breaking any NCAA rule violations. Well, until... Tuesday afternoon, when the NCAA removed the function, all you had to do was type Manzel into the search bar of the NCAA's shop site, and boom, you would be able to buy a jersey of Johnny Manziel. ESPN's Jay Billis, who spoke on Tuesday morning on the Mike and Mike show, he took to Twitter to expose the hypocrisy, and then... He explained it on their show as to how he found out about it and what he did about it. Somebody
3: had, had sent me a screen grab that alerted me that the NCAA website, shopncaa.com or com, whatever it is, was selling uh, a Johnny Manziel jersey, Texas A&M number two, and on the back of the jersey where the name is, yeah, where the name would be, it said football. Well, I've, I've never seen that before. It doesn't say in a basketball jersey, basketball on it, or on a LSU number 7 jersey, football on the back. So clearly that was referring to Johnny Football as if it was using his last name. And I thought, that's really egregious. You know, the NCAA says that they don't sell player names and likenesses, that mm-hmm it's just a coincidence for this number two or they they try to imply it's a coincidence for for this Texas A and M jersey. And I noticed in the upper right corner where where the search was on this screen grab that it said Manziel in it. And I thought, that there's no way that you could search this database by player name and it takes you to their jersey. And I started putting names in there and just so happens I put in Manziel, number two comes up, uh Texas A and M. I put in Clowney, number seven, South Carolina comes up. And then I started put, I put in Taj Boyd, number 10, Clemson comes up. AG McCarran, number 10, Alabama comes up. And I started doing my own screen grabs and putting them out there. And, uh, and it caught people's attention and, and became an issue. And it really is when you think about it, you know, the, the NCAA site, it's one thing where, where if it's on another site and it's being sold, but the NCAA itself, with the NCAA logo, uh, they're, they're selling the players uh, while at the same time restricting the players from anything more than a scholarship. And when they're in court in the O'Bannon case saying, under essentially under oath, that they're not doing this, uh, it, it really struck me as being egregious.
0: Well, Jay Billis is running a one-man campaign to try to get the NCAA abolished. And frankly, if there was anything I could do about it, and that's why I'm giving him all the credit on this, I would say that he's absolutely right. The NCAA has to be abolished. In order for them to say that Johnny Manziel, Braxton Miller, or Jadavian Clowney can have their jerseys sold on the NCAA website, which, by the way, later on in the day, Billis went on to say that that entire search engine that he used on the NCAA site where you could type in their name, It was totally eliminated, and you could no longer find them that way. He called it hypocritical. I agree with him. And earlier today, Mark Emmert came out and said that, yes, you probably could consider it hypocritical that the NCAA is handling it that way. Mark Emmert, of course, the director of the NCAA. Every once in a while, you think that sports go from the ridiculous to the sublime, and that is the situation in Alabama. In case you missed this story earlier last week, Scott Phillips, who led the East Memorial Christian Academy's football program to its first state playoff berth in years and their first state high school basketball championship ever, got fired because of practicing his actual... Religion. He allegedly refused to attend a church of the Prattville, Alabama school's liking, which was East Memorial Baptist Church. That was in favor of his family's home church. And that spelled his end, according to Yahoo Sports and the first reporting of this story, in the Montgomery Advertiser. While Phillips had never been forced to attend the school's affiliated church when he was only a coach, That changed when he became the school's athletic director, and he was expected to attend the East Memorial Baptist Church, even though there was allegedly not an official clause in the contract requiring such an attendance. Phillips tried to make it work. He would get his family to start each Sunday for the 9 a.m. service at East Memorial before attending an 11 a.m. service at his family's church of choice, which was the Church of the Highlands. Eventually, that routine began to make Phillips feel dishonest, leading to a conversation with East Memorial officials where the coach and AD told them he didn't feel comfortable attending Sunday services at East Memorial Baptist, and that was the last conversation he would have as the school's athletic director. He was fired within the next 72 hours. So if anybody out there wants to deal with a high moral coach from Alabama, his name is Scott Phillips, and I'm sure if you requested, he would send his resume out to you very quickly. We're going to take a look at the Pac-12 conference coming up after the break, but as we reported last week here at the Ultimate Sports Talk Show, the College Football Coaches Association came out with their rankings last week, and of course Alabama. The team that has won three out of the last four national championships is the team favored to win it again this season, and they start out the season as the number one team in the country, which doesn't exactly have their coach, Nick Saban, jumping for joy.
4: Any preseason poll really doesn't mean a lot relative to the season. You know, we appreciate the recognition. Uh, We understand the reason that we have these things to enhance the entertainment business, So you guys have something to talk about and write about. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, every team is doing exactly what we're doing right now. And everybody can get good results or bad results based on what they do. And there's not any teams in the country that have really accomplished anything as a team this year. Uh, They're really not entitled to anything. Uh, So the achievements that we have are going to be determined by what we do. And any advantages that we create for ourselves is going to be determined by what we do, how we do it, why it's important to do it that way. All right, so training camp is important uh, to get players to get the knowledge and experience that they need to be able to do their job well, fundamentally, technique-wise, physically. Pay attention to detail. Get the right eye control. Show that you have some kind of desire and ability to sustain in difficult circumstances.
0: You can tell when a coach has been around for years like Nick Saban has because he gets it. He understands that everything that college football revolves around is making money, just like we talked about earlier with Johnny Menzel and the NCAA. It all revolves around the almighty dollar, and Saban knows it. That's why they have these football polls. That's why Alabama is number one, and that's why he's speaking against it. And we'll be back with our Pac-12 review and preview right after this timeout.
5: Last year's Rookie of the Year, Dylan Michael, has in his second year with Cincinnati, been named the league's most valuable player. Michael shook off any sophomore jinx by leading the league in hits, home runs, and came within two RBI of capturing the Triple Crown. 19-year-old Michael was quoted as saying, he appreciated the award, but was disappointed the team could not advance beyond the first round of the playoffs. Last at Bat, a novel by Mark Donahue. Available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books & Company.
0: And you can also pick up a copy of Mark Donahue's book, Lasted Back, right here at com. Just go to the right side of the webpage, and you can order your copy today. Well, we've looked at the Southeastern Conference. We've looked at the Big 12, and tonight we're going to go out west and take a look at now, uh, what's going on in the Pac-12? With our preview of college football conferences going on through the month of August here at the Ultimate Sports Talk Show, and the Western schools really don't get a lot of exposure. Their late-night games keep many from watching them, and in the Pac-12, it is business as usual. Stanford and Oregon are the front runners, with UC, USC and UCLA hoping to contend with former NFL head coaches. Jim Mora, and Lane Kiffin. Bruce Feldman reports on what to expect this season out of the Pac-12. I think
6: you got to start with the two best teams last year, and that's Oregon and Stanford. Stanford was the conference champs last year. David Shaw has got that program rolling. Defense, which was the best on the West Coast, I think it's only going to get even better this year. They've upgraded the athleticism so much. Shane Scove, who was really not 100% last year in much better shape, and I think he's going to be a big difference maker for them. Offensive line is just what Jim Harbaugh envisioned. It's physical. It is big. It's athletic. And, uh, the question mark they had going into last year was a quarterback. It's not a question mark anymore. Kevin Hogan really emerged in the second half of the season, won a big road start at Austin Stadium. He's a, he's a really good athlete. He makes good decisions. And I think that they, uh, they're excited about him. Now, I don't know if they have as much, they don't have the playmakers on offense that Stanford has. You know, Marcus Mariota and DeAnthony Thomas are great starting points, but and I think there will be a little bit of a hiccup for this program just in, in terms of a tinge of growing pains, going from Chip Kelly who called everything and ran the show to his assistant Mark Helfrich who's the new head coach. I, I just think it's a challenge for anybody the first time you're a head coach and he still has a lot of talent around him, but I think that is probably a little bit of a difference between between Oregon and Stanford this year.
7: How about a sleeper team that you like, and why?
6: Tough to call on this one because I thought about this a lot, and you know I wouldn't call UCLA a sleeper. I I, I think they're going to be really good, but if I had to pick one, I guess I would go with Washington. Keith Price struggled, had a little bit of a down 2012. I expect him to bounce back. I think Sarkeesian has upgraded the athleticism on defense, and uh, I don't think they're they're capable of overtaking. Stanford and Oregon in that division, but I think they'll be very good, and I can see them as a top 25 program consistent this
7: year. All right, Steve Sarkeesian entering his fifth season. He's 26 and 25 so far, so maybe they're trending up. Who's trending down in the Pac 12?
6: Well, I don't know. I don't think they're going to, like, trending down, but I think it could be a little bit of a hiccup season after a good, strong first year from Rich Rodriguez at Arizona. I just think that, you know, Matt Scott was a terrific quarterback for him, he fit the system well. I think they're going to miss him, and I think he covered up some flaws. Right now, this program needs a lot of work in terms of it's just very physically small. And I think Rich Rod and staff got to do, you know, they really got to hustle in recruiting to change that. And I think that they they got a lot out of that program last year. And I think just without Matt Scott, I think they're going to take a little bit of a dip before they jump a jump up, probably in 2014, and really build towards something. Because I I just think the roster. It's uh, it's got to be turned over a little bit, and they're just not physically ready, I think, size-wise, to match up with a lot of teams in the conference.
7: Bruce, let's talk about the big games to watch, and we'll start in conference, and then we'll talk out of conference. But in conference, it's got to be Stanford-Oregon, right? I mean, this was uh, the game to watch last year, and, and is it the game to watch this year?
6: Yeah, no doubt. I think you have last year, Kevin Hogan again, first road start, shocks everybody, and they win that game. It was a a classic game. This year, it's at Stanford. And look, you know, there's an experienced quarterback in now and Marcus Mariota. It's not like Oregon's going to be intimidating going in there, but to me that's, that will not only decide who wins that division, I think it has a chance to decide who gets the play in the national title game because, you know what, if you have one loss there, it, it pretty much could knock you out of out of the picture, especially in, in the Pac-12, which doesn't have quite the level of, of credibility with the rest of the Holsters as, let's say, the SEC does. So I think the one loss can really be pretty damaging in terms of the at a conference. I think the one to really watch here is Notre Dame hosting USC. Last year, USC was not. It was a really ugly game for Lane Kiffin. There was a lot of questions about how he handled uh, play calling and clock management. And obviously, Notre Dame won that game to get to the national title. He's definitely on the hot seat. Now USC plays 13 games. They, ha- they do have some talent, and Kiffin did a nice job with USC in 2011 when they won 10 games. But this last year was just a disaster going from preseason number one to going seven and six and losing to a bad Georgia Tech game and a bowl game. So I think he cannot afford to lose to Notre Dame two years in a row, and I think that's it could be potentially a swing game between, you know, Lane Kiffin getting some momentum and building for 2013 to 2014, the 2013 being maybe the link, if in last year coaching USC.
0: Well, let's see what happens with USC, but let's start out west in the Pac-12 and let's go to Utah, a team that just joined the Pac-12 a year ago. They're a perennial national championship contender, but last year they hit a bump in the road. They finished five and seven overall, three and six in the conference, and one and two against top twenty-five teams. They're going to open up the season against cross-state rival Utah State on Thursday night, August 29th. Kyle Whittingham, their head coach, looks to get Utah back to their winning ways on the upcoming 2013 season. It was
8: a bowl game for the first time in a lot of years, 10, 12 years, and uh, it was very foreign to us, and uh, we didn't like it at all. I got a, a bunch of texts during the uh, bowl season from our players uh, how uh, disappointed they were not to be there and how they did not want that to happen again. So... Hopefully uh, we'll get our uh, deficiencies corrected. And, uh, you know, we've had some staff changes brought on Dennis Erickson uh, to help us jumpstart the offense. Going into the Pac-12, we knew it was going to be a transition and a, and a process and a, and a work in progress. I guess you could say we, felt, we feel we've had two outstanding recruiting classes uh, back-to-back. Hopefully that will start to manifest this year. Um, you know, I'm going to tell you that having the Pac-12 Logo on our sleeves and the, and the BCS conference affiliation. The vast majority of the guys we signed in the last two classes, we would not have, had a, have a, had a chance at getting had we not been in that situation.
0: A surprise team in the Pac-12 last year, on a positive note, was UCLA under first-year head coach Jim Mora. They finished nine and five on the year, six and three in the conference, three and two against top 25 teams. And they're going to open the season on the Pac-12 Network at home on August 31st against Nevada. They won the South Division crown under Coach Mora. And he comments about the Bruins' mentality entering the season. Yeah, I
9: think they're confident. I think that they experienced some success. And they understand that the hard work that they put in created some of that success for them. So I want them to be confident. I don't want them to be uh, arrogant in any way Uh and I want them to remain hungry because we really haven't accomplished anything compared to what we're trying to accomplish. So, we're on the right path, we're heading the right direction, they've got the right mindset. And, and I want them to be confident, but right on that edge. You know, right now our starting running back would be Jordan James, um, and he's a, he was jo- uh, Jonathan's backup last year, he's a good player. Uh, Steven Manfro, we've moved him in and out from the slot receiver to running back, he's a good player. Um, You know, Damian Thigpen hurt his knee last year, but he's coming back and doing a a nice job. Uh, You know, we've got a a guy named Malcolm Jones who didn't play last year. He's back this year. Uh, I don't want to forget anybody, I'm sure that I am, but I I think that as a group we'll get it done. What we have to do is we've got to do a good job up front blocking. Uh, We've got to be able to pass the ball effectively. We've got to be be able to play great defense so we can run the football. And those guys will get it done. They're not going to replace Jonathan. I mean, Jonathan is unique. I mean, he's the senior rusher in, in the history of UCLA. You know, he's one of the great players ever there. So maybe a guy like Paul Perkins, who I didn't mention, he's a redshirt freshman, maybe he grows into Jonathan Franklin someday. But right now they're going to have to do it by committee. You
0: know, some guys are just meant to be college football coaches. And after a couple of stints as an NFL coach, Jim Mora might be one of those people. Well, Mike Riley is returning to Oregon State for his 11th season in his second stint as the Beavers head coach. They finished nine and four last year, six and three in the conference, and against top 25 teams, they were two and three, and they will open up with Eastern Washington on August 31st on the Pac-12 network. Mike Riley talks about what he is expecting this season from his Oregon State beavers. When you hit a cycle
10: like this and you go to spring practice, you can actually line up on the first day and run a play and it looks a little bit like football. So you can kind of, you you got the opportunity to hopefully as close as you can pick up where you left off. Now we've got some, even though we didn't lose many guys, we've got some big shoes to fill. Marcus Wheaton's one of the best receivers we've ever had and, and so we've got a We've got to either balance it out and find somebody to replace him at the same time with more guys making more plays because Marcus made a ton of plays. And then Jordan Poyer on defense was such a great player and did a lot of things for us. Returned kicks, played corner, played nickel, played dime. You know, he was a versatile guy. So we got some shoes to fill, but uh, it's all, always nice to have returners because experience, there's no substitute for experience. And, and – uh, and, and you should be able to, to do that a little bit, pick up where you left off and try to grow from there. We also had the benefit for the first time since I've been there really of really playing two backs a lot. We played Toronto Ward and Storm Woods. You know, when, when even with both of them healthy, we tried to get both of them some action. So maybe they didn't. Uh, individually have the great numbers, but they combine for a, a better running game. We are still not as good in the running game last year as I want to be or hope that we can get to be, but I really like Storm. He's versatile. He is a, he's a good runner. He's a good receiver. He's a, he's a good blocker and getting better in that area. So he's becoming one of those all around guys that we can leave in on third down. and
0: Mike Riley, the head coach of the Oregon State Beavers and they're looking at coming back and having a great year this year. Well, going from Oregon State to one of the teams that finished near the bottom—a matter of fact, they finished in the bottom of the Pac-12—that's Colorado. They were 1 and 11 on the season, 1 and 8 in the conference, and against top 25 teams, they were just pathetic. They were 0 and 4, and they're going to open up in Denver at Mile High Stadium against Colorado State. That's Sunday. September 1st, Labor Day weekend. Seven straight losing seasons for the Colorado Buffaloes football team, and the only place for them to go is up. They've got a new head coach this year in Mike McIntyre, and he explains what will drive the Buffaloes towards success this season. I think
7: one of the things that we'll be able to do, we have to develop trust in our young men, and they have to trust us, we have to trust them. We're in the process of doing that now. I have a phenomenal coaching staff. I think that's one of the reasons that we'll be successful and uh, also our overall program. And i tell you the other thing, Phil DeStefano and what our university is doing to step up behind us and get things moving in the right direction with the building plan of the $170 million facility that we're in the process of working on and getting going um, is exciting. So all of those put together um, will make it successful. It's not just Mike McIntyre. I can promise you that. If it was just me, there's no way. It's the whole team. It's the whole um, group of people that I have with me and it's a university and it's also the fans backing us all they can.
0: You know, what's funny is the reigning theme over all of these coaches, and I didn't get everyone talking about it, but most of these coaches consistently talk about the new practice facility or the new indoor facility that they have that cost the universities millions and millions of dollars and people wonder why college football and basketball are such big business entities and why the NCAA wants to keep a stranglehold upon what it is that they're doing just look at these facilities that the colleges are putting up let's go to Arizona where the Wildcats finished 8 and 5 last year 4 and 5 in the conference and 2 and 3 in the top 25 under first year coach former Michigan and West Virginia mentor Rich Rodriguez They're going to open up with Northern Arizona on Friday night, August 30th, and that will be televised on the Pac-12 network. Rodriguez is entering his second season, and he's looking forward to it. Certainly,
8: as a coaching staff making a transition, I thought we learned a lot about our team, about what we need to do going forward. Uh, Got a great group of young men in our program. They were a lot of fun to coach last year. Got a few guys to replace, some outstanding seniors, but... I like this team. I like their attitude. I like what's being built at the University of Arizona. We knew coming in that we were going to be hanging on a little bit defensively uh, just because of our lack of depth and and experience. But uh, a lot of guys are back and you're older, you're uh, you're stronger, a little more experienced certainly. And we're going to have a little more competition, a little more depth. And and hopefully we'll be a a little luckier as well keeping guys healthy. But uh, our guys never quit. They battled, certainly defensively. There were times where we knew we were... We're uh, just hanging on a little bit, but I like what we do defensively. I like the players that we have coming back, and I think they're going to play with a chip on their shoulder, and and, uh, you'll see a lot better defensive performance this fall.
0: Well, that's the one thing that Arizona has to do is they have to play better defense, and that's not something that Rich Rodriguez has hung his hat on during his coaching career. He's an offensive coach. If Arizona can come up with some defense, they will be a tough cookie to beat. Well, another team that is on the up and coming, it's the USC Trojans. They finished 7 and 6 a year ago, 5 and 4 in the conference, but they were 0 and 4 against top 25 teams. They're going to open up at Hawaii on Thursday night, August 29th. Lane Kiffin is the head coach of USC. He lost his father as the defensive coordinator to the Dallas Cowboys of the NFL. And he talks about improving this team and the new leaders that will be stepping forward for his USC Trojans. Spring was great
11: because you see your players start to develop. You see leaders develop within your program. And um, as we move into the fall, it's our job to make sure we're developing those guys as great leaders. And you have two of them up here today um, that do it on the field by the way that they play. But also they represent USC as phenomenal student-athletes in the classroom and within our university. You know, as you spend a lot of time, as we did in January and February, figuring out what happened, um, looking at everything in our program, you you know, you've got to make sure that we're focused on the things that really matter, that have to do with winning and losing and have to do with our players performing really well. And so I don't think it was about the hype. I think that um, we didn't play very well and we didn't coach very well. And uh, when you do that, that's what happens. So as we look at where we need to improve, um, it's not some things that maybe you guys think, it's things that we believe within our program are very easy to look at what happened last year, not about what someone was wearing or any of that stuff. It's about not turning the football over. It's about playing better on third down. It's about playing much better in the red zone than we did last year and then tackling a lot better on defense. So those are the things that matter, and, and that's what we've
0: really gone back to basics and we're working on. As you heard Kiffin say, expectations were high a year ago, and another disappointing season in Los Angeles will not be permitted. One of the most high-profile coaches in the Pac-12, at least entering last season, was Mike Leach, especially after his famous tirade that went on when he was the coach at Texas Tech. He had taken that school to Lofty Heights, and then he fell down with a gigantic thud, but he has landed on his feet in Washington State, and in Pullman, he registered a three and nine record, one and eight in the conference, one and four against top 25 teams. And they are going to open against Auburn on August 31st. That's going to be on ESPNU. Leach is entering his second year as head coach of the Cougars, and he's working on changing the attitude not only on the team. But at the university,
12: yeah, there, I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, uh, Washington State struggled for about 12 years, and you know, if you keep everything the same, uh, you're probably going to have the same results. So, uh, but you know, just uh, uh, you know, be excited, uh, to commit yourself to having great effort and focus on uh, what you do. And I, 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 I thought it was important. I thought our team responded well and has uh, steadily improved. Uh, you know, we were, uh, we were in, uh, the majority of our games, uh, uh Stanford and, and, uh, Stanford and, uh, UCLA, uh, you know, we played real well and we played, uh, you know, we just need to finish those games. Those, those were, those guys were the top of our conference and so, uh, you know, we're not way off. We just gotta keep doing what we're doing and do it better. You know, uh, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, we had 17 guys that had never played college football before, Star for us, and so, uh, you know, now now they've been a college football player, so I think that's helpful.
0: Boy, well, you can tell that Mike Leach is excited for this season. He's always excitable, isn't he? Sounds like Eeyore. Anyway. Let's go back to Arizona, where Arizona State and Todd Graham are looking to continue upon the rebuilding process that they started just a couple of years ago, and it gave them a record last year of 8-5 and five overall, 5-4 five and four in the conference, and against top 25 teams, they were one win, three losses. Graham looks forward to a crucial part of his season, which is the first four weeks, and three of those first four weeks, they're going to be playing Wisconsin, Stanford, and Oregon, and that will tell the tale for the Arizona State season.
5: Obviously, you know, we, we've got to, we got to take, you know, all, coaches say this all the time, you got to take one game at a time. We've got to beat Sac State and then we go to the next one. But uh, uh, that's how we do it. You know, our, we got on our risk risk any challenge. And, uh, you know, we're not, uh, uh, with, we don't look at that uh, with any regret, uh, anything on our schedule. We look at it as a great opportunity. And uh, these guys have worked hard. Uh, we have the highest standards anywhere in the country I can tell you as far as work ethic and uh, uh, character and discipline and structure and how we do things and uh, uh, I believe in this team I like this team Uh, you know we've got a a team that loves each other Uh, we've got guys that have invested and they've worked hard and they've uh, put themselves in position to compete for a championship so uh, you know we're not uh, uh, you know I'm I'm not uh, I can tell a sense of urgency obviously we know the challenges on that schedule and, uh, you know, we're, we're, this, this season is about winning championships. So I know our fans and I know our football team's excited. We can't wait to get started uh, and just take them one game at a time. And the great thing about our schedule, all you got to do is win 13 games and you'll be uh, playing uh, in the national championship because it's uh, obviously a, a challenging schedule. But, uh, again, that's, uh, that's why you do this. I mean, our guys want to play in those games. I mean, our guys are excited about, about the, that opportunity. And uh, I think these guys know that, uh, what the potential that our football team has. and and also the investment that we put in. So uh, we're we're looking forward to a championship run and uh, just taking it one week at a time.
0: Boy, when you look at that schedule, though, that Arizona State's got, it is a killer in the first four weeks. So good luck to them. We're down to the final two teams, Oregon, Stanford. Stanford, Oregon. You could flip a coin and try to decide who's going to win this conference. Let's go to Oregon first, where they're under a new head coach. Chip Kelly has gone to Philadelphia and in his last year as the Ducks head man, they finished 12 and 1, 8 and 1 in the conference, 5 and 1 against top 25 teams. And under their new head coach Mark Helfrich, they're going to open up against Nickel State on August 31st and that's on the new Fox Sports 1. With Kelly in Philadelphia, first-year Oregon head coach Mark Helfrich previews the 2013 season and what it's been like taking over for Chip Kelly.
7: Well, a lot we keep the same, and, and you know, it's, a, it's an honor to follow in his footsteps and, and take over a program that's a program. You know, we have a, a lot of guys in place that know exactly what we want to do. Probably most importantly are players that, that believe in our system, and I don't own a stamp. We're not going to put a new stamp <laughs> on anything, and, and we're going to, to tweak things year to year for sure of just – Hey, you maybe have more tight ends this year, more receivers this year, whatever those personnel things that you go through. And then the, the changes of maybe in the weight room or nutritionally or academically, whatever can make our, our student athlete experience better, we're going to do. You know, Oregon's been different. We've had a, a succession of Rich Brooks to Mike Pilati Mike Pilati to Chip Kelly, and then Chip Kelly to me. And and, right. and Chip, Chip said the, the most valuable thing that Coach Pilati would told him is be yourself. And... and uh, unfortunately for my wife, I'm going to continue to be myself. So. <laughs> uh, but, we again, the, the whole key in this is our guys, you know, our players, and they, they believe in, in what we're doing and, and, and our coaching staff, and, and that's the exciting yeah. part.
0: Players are always the difference, and after just missing out on playing for the national championship just one year ago in Kelly's last season, Helfrich knows this team has to streamline their approach. Just become
7: more efficient, you know, and... and in college football, you're, you're, again, your team changes every year. You know, Kenyon Barner has gone. A lot of the other, you know, guys we had up front. Kyle Long was a first-round draft pick up front. And your team, you adapting to your team, game planning to that, our philosophy of how we play offense isn't going to change. And, but how we fit those pieces does every every year. Um, but, you know, we, we, we talk about the guy inside the helmet. You know, and, and you can put a dog in eight shiny helmets and still a dog. And we, we need to, to make sure our, our exposure, our innovation that, that has, you know, come from from Nike and, and our, our great relationship with them has, has made us a national brand. And now we have to be even more selective and more just detailed in our evaluation of a guy that's coming into that system.
0: Again, another message of money. Nike and Oregon exploiting their brand uniforms anew, crazy colors. And that takes us to the last team we're going to preview tonight, the Stanford Cardinal. Stanford 12-2 and two a year ago, 8-1 and one in the conference, 1-3 and three in the top 25, and they open up with San Jose State. On September 7th, they get the first weekend off, and that game's going to be on the Pac-12 network. And after back-to-back BCS bowl games, since taking over for Jim Harbaugh, Shaw is looking for more from his team in 2013, and it starts with the offensive line, which could be the best in the country.
13: Uh, from tackle to tackle, it's got a chance to be. We'll see. Um, with where David Yankee is right now, uh, arguably the best guard in the nation. I mean, he's phenomenal, 312 pounds. Uh, to be able to move the way that he does, the way that we pull him and get him out in screens and pass protects is phenomenal. Andrews Pete ceiling is extremely high. We've got three-year starter at right tackle and Cam Fleming. Uh, that's, that's on the, all the watch lists as well. He's outstanding. Um, so we've got a nucleus of guys that we think are going to be really, really good. Can they play extremely well together? We'll see. But as far as on paper, he's got a chance to be really good. Defense was really what made the team last year. Got it to the Rose Bowl, got it a Rose Bowl title, got it to the Pac-12 championship by winning at Oregon and shutting down the Ducks offense, and no one else did that last year. What's going to be different about the defense this year? Well, the thing is, can we play at that high level every single game? That, that's, that's the challenge. That's the challenge. We're not going to say, well, we might not be as good. You know, that we're not going to try to you know, pass anything off against these guys. These guys know they have a chance to be extremely good, and we're going to hold them to that. You know, can, can we have that high level of performance against Oregon without the letdown against Arizona, you know, where we, we give up a ton of yards and a ton of points? Can we play at that high level every single game Uh, Coach Mason's done a phenomenal job of framing the guy's mentality, uh, putting guys in positions to be successful. But I think those guys also know, um, you know, defensively, it's one guy that's out of position and we give up a touchdown. So it's about the unit. Can we play well together at a high level every single game?
0: David Shaw was a very high-profile coach from a year ago that a lot of NFL teams were going after. If he has another successful year, At Stanford, he will be the key target of many NFL teams in February and March of next season. Well, our predictions for the Pac-12, tell you what, I think the first coach that's going to be fired is Lane Kiffin. I don't think they're going to put up with his act much longer. It is growing old in Los Angeles, and when you put on an act like Lane Kiffin does, you have to win. He hasn't done that at USC, I think this will be his last year if he doesn't finish at least 9-3. and three. Stanford and Oregon, it's easy to pick those two. Those two will end up being, one of those two teams will end up being the Pac-12 champion. One will probably go to a major BCS game. The other one will probably go to the Rose Bowl. And another team I think that is going to be a dark horse that's really going to step in and battle with these two ball clubs. I don't think that they've got enough talent right now to beat them, but I think they've got enough chutzpah to at least put up a good ball game, and that's the UCLA Bruins under Jim Mora. I look at them as being a very up-and-coming team. That's our Pac-12 preview for the upcoming season here at the Ultimate Sports Talk Show, and next week we're going to take a look at the Big Ten. Brady Hoke. Urban Meyer, and just all the other coaches in the Big Ten. We're going to talk to them and give you our predictions on who is going to win what in that Big Ten conference. Should be a very interesting show next week. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to preview Notre Dame, as you know, one of my favorite schools. We'll be talking with Brian Kelly about what is going on with his school after they were demolished by Alabama in last year's BCS championship game. That's going to do it for our show tonight. So glad you joined us here this evening on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. We've gone over the Pac-12. We've talked about Johnny Manziel. We've also talked about the Indians and the Browns. And we're going to do it all again next week when you join us at 7 o'clock on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Be sure you join us again on Monday evening coming up as Mark Donahue and I will talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. That's at 9 o'clock Monday night, and I'll be back next week at 7 o'clock to preview the Big Ten. Thanks a lot for joining us here this evening. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, but most of all to you for being our listeners. I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next week, have a good weekend, everyone. Goodbye.